BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen. I do appreciate you, and a special thanks to our patrons, Adam, Candace, Susie, Michael, Dave, and John. I do appreciate all of you as well. Thank you so much for your support. It makes a huge difference for all of the things that we're trying to do here on the podcast these days. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Today we are doing the Bee Buzz episode 14. I've had a lot of questions that have come up lately. I've kind of backburnered them for some other things. I am not going to give you all the updates that are going on right now because there's so much going on now. It's probably it's pretty ridiculous. I think I say this a lot. Like there's more going on now than any other time of my life. I feel like I say that all the time. So I don't know. It's just it's a busy time. It's a little crazy time. And I'll give you lots of updates in about two weeks. And that's about all I'll say for that for right now. So for those of you who were in the Discord room today, this will still be funny to you. For everybody else, I apologize. You're probably going to miss out on it. But remember, please send your banking information to Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Okay. I had a chance to catch up with Phoebe, a.k.a. the Phoebe Keeper. Now, as many of you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, Phoebe used to jump in every now and then. Sometimes it was just, hey, how you doing? Other times it was, hey, there's this really cool bee thing going on that I wanted to share with everybody. She's a senior in high school now. I recognize that I'm definitely not the coolest person to hang out with. And I know I know that I'm I'm not number one anymore. I get it. It's okay. I've accepted it. But I figured instead of trying to twist her arm and get her to come in and talk about a topic, I was just, you know, hey, do you want to just drop by and say hi? So I'm going to go ahead right now, bring in the recording of her and I chatting a little bit earlier, and then uh, and then we'll get back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Special guest today, we have Phoebe. Phoebe, what's going on? 
Not too much. How about you? Well, been a busy day. Yes. It has. Yeah, it's been a real busy day. But hey, let's get to the important stuff. So, um, where are you in your beekeeping journey here? Where are things? Uh, it's been a while since I've done a whole lot with the bees. Kind of, kind of sad. Kind of sad. Okay. Well, it's a little bit premature for me to share the exciting announcements with everybody, but within the next couple of weeks, we'll be making an announcement that will give you a lot more time to spend with the bees. That's all I can say at this point in time. You seem to be having some technical difficulties over there. Maybe a little. Okay. So you are in your what year of school right now? Senior Senior year of school. Woo-hoo. Any exciting classes going on right now? In my graphic communications class, that's pretty exciting. We're learning a lot of photography, videography, graphic design. Okay. A lot of fun. Good, good. So I think that as a listener, right, I'm an outside party looking in, I'm listening to the podcast, and I'm wondering why I'm not seeing all of that great skill being applied on the YouTube channel. So can you help talk us through that? What's what's the barrier of entry there for getting you to, <laughs> I put you on the spot. You not being specific about what you want. Ah, uh, okay. So say, I have not I want a, a thumbnail. So I have not effectively communicated my yes. needs to you. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. All right, your car inspection. I want to have a quick chat about that. Okay. Um, as a lot of people know, in in some states across the country, it is a requirement that you have an annual state inspection. Uh, Phoebe, this is October of twenty three. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. When did your state inspection expire? Uh, what is April? Or when was April? Oh, you're doing it in the form of a question like Jeopardy? Yeah. I see. Solid. Well played. So that's about six months ago. So that's, uh, that's another fun thing that's going on. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not the owner of said vehicle. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, I think the owner might want to sell the vehicle because he doesn't need it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. You drive me to school every day. No, the school bus still comes to the neighborhood. Nope. They stopped. <laughs> I don't think that's the way that happened. Okay. Anything else you'd want to discuss or share with the, the team, the family here? Okay. One word of advice that you can pass along to somebody who is brand new beekeeper. They haven't even listened to any of the early episodes. They heard about the podcast and... They were like, Bee Buzz, episode 14, what is that? First time listening today, and they get to hear your words of advice. What do you recommend? Number one most important thing for a new beekeeper, what should you be doing or thinking about? Take a second. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> um, no, no. Don't be discouraged if your first few hives don't overwinter or if it takes you a while to figure out everything. All right. Trivia question for you. Okay. Leading cause of overwinter deaths. Varroa. Or freezing. I don't know. Oh, wow. You really started out strong there with Varroa. So I don't, I don't know what the Hive answer beetles. is. I think that the number one general probably cause is I would say it would be. Lack of food. Condensation that drips down onto the bees because there wasn't adequate ventilation. (laughs) But you can also tie that into like if you have not adequately treated for Varroa at the end of the season in the fall and they go into overwinter unhealthy, that would certainly be a top candidate. 
I don't know that there's any, I'm sure somebody's done research to figure out which one is the actual top. I just wanted to hear what you were going to say. So, but you touched on some good stuff there. <laughs> okay, trivia time. Where does Varroa reproduce? In the, the frame. Yes, it's in the frame. <laughs> You're in the right part of the hive. <laughs> in a, Come on, you can do this. In the brood. In the brood. Solid. Well played. Next question. Question number two. Is that right? Yeah, it's in the oh. brood. Where? Oh, if you want to go for extra bonus points. The, folks, this is completely unprompted. We have not discussed this ahead of time. It was not even part of our little joking schedule for today here. What specific type of brood is most at risk for Varroa and why? So you have worker brood. Drone brood. Why would drone brood be a higher risk? Because they're men and they can't fight for themselves. <gasps> Wow. Okay. Half of that question is right. You guess which half. Okay. So the life cycle, development life cycle of the drone is about three days longer than the worker. So yes, you will have drones be impacted more. And it's definitely recommended to test your drones because that will probably give you a more realistic picture of what your Varroa counts look like. Question number three. The final question of the night. True or false, and why? Entrance feeders are a really good idea. What is false? Because it makes it easier for outside insects or other pests. Or draws, it attracts them to the hive. When you say them, can you be more specific? Of varroa mites and uh, beetles. Oh. Everything was going so well. So you might bring in like yellow jackets and things that may attack, harm, or rob. They might get there and be like, cool, this is some good yummy stuff in this feeder. Hey, what else do they have while we're here? Okay. I think you did pretty good for someone who's been out of the, the arena for a while here. And I don't know what you're doing over there, but that's really weird. Is there anything you'd like to share with the crew before we go? I got a Bee Buzz episode we got to get going here. So is there anything you'd like to share with everybody? Nope. Okay. Any dances coming up, homecomings, proms? What do you got going on? Homecoming. Coming up in the next couple weeks? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, well, everybody, thank you so much, Phoebes, for being here. Really appreciate you. Great seeing you, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Thanks, Phoebes. Good seeing you. Hey. Huh? May the peace of the Lord be with you. Okay. And also with you. Oh, and also with me. All right. Okay. Well, thanks, Phoebes, for stopping by. Always enjoy chatting with you. I appreciate your time tonight. And now back to the business here. Got a couple of questions we're going to run through, and uh, I think I've got a couple other miscellaneous notes floating around in here, so we'll just start getting to it. Okay. The first question I have is, obviously, selling honey is a great way to generate income you know, with, with honeybees, but in your experience, what do you think would be some other ways to create revenue from beekeeping? So it's, it's a three question thing. That's question one. Question two, what do you think the biggest challenge is facing new beekeepers today? And number three, what do you think the breakthrough for your success was? Question number one, you know, what are the things you can do to generate income? First thing I would say is you can sell 
package bees, and nukes. Now, I think personally nukes are a little bit better. It's just, in my opinion, nukes are better because you can make more money per nuke. It's just a smaller box than the boxes you're used to using. You don't have to go and get any kind of special cages or containers or you know the, the actual packages that package bees come in. You don't have to either buy or make those. You just either buy or make a nuke box. You charge the person for the nuke box. You make them do a swap into their hardware, whatever you got to do. I just think it, nukes are better in my opinion. It's better for the beekeeper. It's better for whoever is selling to the beekeeper. I'm a big fan of, of the nukes instead. But you can do nukes. You can do package bees. And then there's also queen rearing. You can go online, I think Facebook Marketplace and other other places online, and you can find people that are just cranking out queen cells. And you can go in and buy, you know, a dozen queen cells, five bucks a piece, four dollars a piece, you know, that kind of thing. It's not that hard to do, like to actually so it's one of those things where it's like a little bit of a tedious thing and, and there's a little bit of a, a trick to doing it when you're actually grafting out young larvae from the comb itself. It's just one of those things, man. It has that that psychomotor skill that you have to do. And once you kind of get the hang of it and you figure it out, you're probably going to have, you know, 90 plus success rate in your queen grafting. Once you learn how to do that, if you've got, you know, five, 10 hives, you can have a cell builder just cranking, you know, for six, eight weeks at a time in my area, in other places longer, in other places, maybe not so much, but you can be cranking out queen cells and selling them again for whatever the market will bear in your area. But that's another option of things that you can do. There's also candles and soaps. A lot of people do that with the wax. They'll melt everything down, kind of filter it, and, and make things out of that. You, have, uh, you can make mead. I've, again, I've never done most of the stuff on this list here. But you can make mead, which is, you know, like a honey wine kind of thing. I know absolutely nothing about it. But that's another option. Another thing you can do would be pollination services. So if you're in an agricultural area or you don't mind transporting your bees to an agricultural area, you can absolutely do, you know, I think it's roughly about two colonies per acre, depending on where you are, somewhere between $50 and $100 per colony. That's certainly something you can look at as well. One just quick note about that is just be careful if you're crossing state lines. You want to make sure you're communicating with the state ag department and make sure you're following the rules in your state about crossing state lines and and as well as into the receiving states or any states you may transition. Just make sure you're doing whatever you need to do up front to do that. You know, 99% of the time you just go wherever you want to go and drive around with your bees on the back of a trailer and no one's going to mess with you. You just don't want to be that one person the one time where something stupid happens and then you're you're getting in trouble. So it's not a big deal. Make the calls. Do the right thing. Stay out of trouble. Okay, so question two, the biggest challenges for, for new beekeepers. So hands down, number one, I think Varroa, and we've been beating this one to death lately, but we're going to keep doing it. I think people often really, really underestimate just how destructive this might is to honeybee colonies. And, you know, the expectation that beekeeping is going to be easy is probably – the second biggest thing. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, it's just a box with some bees in it. No big deal. You know, you know like I don't, I don't think it's hard, but there are certain things that just have to be done. And if you don't take the time to get educated or have someone working with you to educate you, you're probably going to fail. I'll be honest with you. I'm inherently very lazy, right? Like I have to kind of turn off parts of my brain to get things done because if I sit down and start thinking about things, I find ways to talk myself out of doing difficult things. 
So I have to just like shut my brain down and be like, go do thing now. Like I have to get as Cro-Magnon Neanderthal or whatever as I possibly can because I start thinking and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's going to suck or whatever. There's a lot of things in beekeeping that are just, you know, you're out there. It's the summertime. It's 95 degrees. You're inspecting your hives. You know, it's cool when you're inspecting three hives. When you're inspecting 33 hives or 53 or 103, you know, like it's just, it's so, it's, it'll drain you. It'll wipe you out. But one of the really, really sucky things too with beekeeping is that even if you're doing everything right, sometimes you can still fail. You know, like beekeeping, it always reminds me of what people said years ago when I was looking at buying a boat and they're like, oh, you know, a boat is just a hole in the water that you throw money into. Beekeeping is like boating. You can throw tens of thousands of dollars into it if you want. You can buy all the fancy bells and whistles and bee crap that everybody's selling to make a buck. And I'm not faulting people for trying to come up with new, cool, interesting things that people might be able to use. And I'm not faulting the people for buying them. But it's one of those things where you can spend as much or as little basically as you want. But if you don't take the time to get educated and to learn all the things you need to know or to have that person with you who does, you're kind of throwing good money after bad. And it's even worse when you're not taking that time. Like, you know, you buy two or three colonies, let's say in the spring, and you get everything going and they don't overwinter or one of them dies in the summer and you take two into overwinter and both of them die. And then you're like, oh, well, I guess we'll try again next year. And then you do the exact same stuff next year, right? I mean, you got to treat for a row. you got to make sure your hives have good ventilation year-round. You got to make sure they don't get wet inside the hive in the winter, right? Those are just a couple of quick, quick tips there. So number three, what do I think the breakthrough was for my success? So that's a pretty easy one. I don't believe that I've had a breakthrough moment, nor do I, I really consider myself to be a, a you know, a, in air quotes, like successful beekeeper right now. I left the workforce, you know, during COVID hoping that beekeeping could be a full-time thing, but there was also a lot of other stuff that was going on and, uh, I was just really, really hoping that the trust and faith that I had put in some other people who were part of this team that we were building were going to come through. And once again, I realized that you really need to be able to count on yourself. If you're not counting on yourself and, and making sure that you are fully involved, engaged, and responsible for your own failure and success, then when it falls apart, you can only blame yourself. I put so much trust in some other people to do what needed to be done. I had things I was doing, I had things I was working on, and other people did not execute as they should have, and it's 100% my fault because I placed my faith and trust in people that I shouldn't have done that with. So I don't think I'm a tremendously successful beekeeper, but what I would say is a path to success, number one, whether you plan to go into a bee business commercially or not, I would still say even as a hobbyist, Treat it like a business almost in the sense of create like a business plan where you say, okay, how many hives do I want to get? Why do I want that many hives? How many of them is it going to take to achieve my goal? So as an example, if you say, I really just want to go into my neighborhood and I want to sell honey at the farmer's market, you know, I don't know, 10 weekends out of the year, make a little extra money, but I really want to have like 50 pounds of honey laying around to get me through the year because I just love honey. Okay, cool, right? That's something you can work with. Whatever you do, whatever your plan might be, have a plan. Even if you have no interest in selling or doing anything else with honey, maybe you just want to give it away to friends at Christmas or whatever your plan is, figure it out, but document it. Write it down. Give yourself something you can reference and go back to. Some Give yourself some kind of, kind of what we used to say in the Army, task conditions and standards, right? You would say, 
okay, what do I have to do? What are the, the, what's the environment look like that I have to do this in and how am I measuring success? That's the exact same thing that I would tell you with this. You have an idea of how many hives you want. Well, you know that bee colonies swarm. So should I maybe have some extra parts around? Hey, I might not know everything. Who can I get to mentor me or to help me out with this? If you think back to uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, and it talks about Henry Ford, right? Henry Ford didn't know anything about cars, surrounded himself with a bunch of smart people, engineers, and people who knew how to design those things. Hey, you guys are the smart guys. You figure it out, right? Surround yourself with smart people who know what's going on and let them help you get where you want to be. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. The best way to move bees. So this is question two that came from someone local here in Virginia. So I would say if you can, so obviously, you know, there's two different types of moves we would talk about. We have your like short distance in the yard kind of move and then your long distance, you know, multiple miles or multiple counties or states away type of thing. The short distance things, I think that the sort of unofficial rule is like five inches or five miles kind of thing. So, you know, if you need to move them within the yard, slide them over a little bit at a time and just gradually do that. I mean, that's that's kind of one way of doing it. I don't know. I feel like I'm at a point where if it's in the spring and I know that there's a flow on and and the queen's laying a lot of eggs and there's a lot of replacement and new workers coming in, 
I would probably just move them wherever I wanted and not worry about the foragers that got left behind. They're probably older bees anyway. I mean, it cost of doing business. You do what you got to do. But just remember, they're all, all those foragers are going to go back to that old location and you're going to lose some bees. So that's your shorter ones are really, really tougher. And I, I know I've told the story before, but I moved about a third of a mile from one house to, to the house I'm at now, brought some bees here. Went back to the old house to get a few last-minute things and up against the fence right next to where those hives were, two big clusters of honeybees. It happens. If you can avoid it, it's optimal to at least move them somewhere else and then let the life cycle of those foragers kind of expire and then move them back. And really, you know, we're not talking a long time. I would give it probably two and a half, three weeks. But take them, move them to a friend's house, you know, five, six miles away, let them stay there two or three weeks and then bring them back home and you should be in business. And again, most people will tell you it's somewhere in that four to five mile range. The, f- the further that you go, the better. Anything beyond four or five miles is not going to make a huge difference. If you're like, oh man, I can only move them three miles, then move them three miles, right? You might lose some, you might not. It's not going to be that big of a deal. Now, as far as moving them from you know point A to point B, and that's say 100 miles, 200 miles, 500 miles, one of the big, you know, killers of bees in transit is heat. They definitely do better with cool than they do with heat. I would also recommend moving them at night when it's possible because they're less active at night. So what I've done for me, like I'm moving, for example, when I had bees at my house and I moved them down to the apiary, I went out 9, 10 o'clock at night and I had everything pre-measured, ready to go. And I took my hardware cloth, walked up to the entrance, staple, 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 four staples, you're done, and then go on to the next one and just staple all the entrances closed. And then I go to bed, wake up in the morning, load them up, or sometimes depending on what's going on, I would load them up the night before, but get everybody loaded up into the truck or the trailer or whatever you're putting them in. And now again, I'm talking about moving, you know, a few here and there, put them in the back of a truck, whatever you got to do. I'm okay with putting them like in the backseat of a car. If you have one, that doesn't bother me. Some people are very uncomfortable with that. You can always drive down the road with your gear on. Do what you got to do. I definitely recommend a truck or something that has an open bed would be a little bit better. Now, if we're talking about like a trailer of stuff, right, you're talking like 20, 30 bees. One of the easier ways to do that is to just put them onto a pallet and then strap them to the pallet and then strap a mesh type tarp over top of that to kind of keep, you know, any of them contained. Like I said, the commercial guys... If you've got, you know, a few hundred colonies, several hundred colonies that you're going to load in the back of a truck, I mean, they're going to forklift it all on there at night, drop them off, throw a big, huge mesh over the whole thing, tighten it all down. They're driving down the road and they're going to drive all night to get wherever they got to go. And then they get there the next day, open everything up and start, you know, putting it down on the pollination or whatever else they're doing. A lot of them will use pallets and the pallets will have brackets on them and then the hives will either be kind of locked into those brackets through the bottom board or the bottom boards will actually be somehow secured directly to the pallet. And then when you strap down the rest of the hive, it kind of wraps around the bottom board and it's really secure. So there's a couple of things to kind of keep in mind there. But again, ventilation is good, giving them fresh air, making sure they can breathe. You don't want them to get too hot. Try to do as much as you can at night. Close the entrance. If you're able to do so, definitely close the entrance before the sun comes up or a couple hours after the sun goes down. So like 4 a.m., 10 p.m., those types of things, depending on sunrise and sunset in your area. Obviously, if you're in Alaska, 
you may have to tweak that a little bit. Okay, so we are almost to winter. I'm a first-year beekeeper, and I'm not really sure what to do to prepare my hives for winter. My first recommendation would be to go back to episode 22. Uh, it's called episode 22, Getting Ready for Winter. But I think the trick now is for me to do a quick summary and hope that I don't somehow contradict myself. I Honestly, I haven't listened to the episode in a while. I am going back right now. And uh, this is kind of a sidebar that's completely unrelated, but I'll go ahead and tell you. I'm going back and I'm, I'm re-looking at all of the old episodes because when I first started recording, I had zero sense whatsoever about recording and editing and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm going back and listening to a few things and I'm like, I, I can't believe I actually put that out there. Just crappy audio and other things. I hope I don't say anything that's, that's contradictory here in preparation for winter. But what I would say is thinking, you know, what are the primary reasons that bees die in the wintertime? That's kind of what I'm going to attack here. The first thing to think about is your area will have what I would consider to kind of be like an average amount of honey that has to be stored in a beehive with your species of bees to get through that winter. So whatever that is for your area, again, this is really, really helpful with your, you know, your local bee club. But like I've said before, it's really, really tough because you go to a bee club and they're all good people with great intentions and all of that. But you go up to one person, you're like, hey, Mike, you know, what do you think about overwintering? You know, how much honey do you think I need to have? Oh, you need to have at least a deep and a medium. And then you walk over to Jane and you're like, hey, Jane, what do you think? And she's like, oh, I just have, you know, my, my single deep. And, you know, they pack it all. That, that's all we need, just the deep by itself. And you talk to somebody else, oh, you need three deeps and two mediums. You know, it's like everybody you talk to wants to have a different answer sometimes. I'm not saying that this is how everybody is, but you're going to get different answers to this question. Be very prepared for that. And that's where it goes back to what I've said many times. Make sure that you're documenting everything you do. Bring that notepad or that iPad or whatever pad you want to use figure out a way or even dictate it to yourself, right? Bring a recording device. I got one the other day on Amazon for like 20 bucks. You plug it into the phone, you clip it onto your shirt and you can just talk. You can go with, okay, I'm on frame one. I don't see anything, nothing into anything. Okay. I'm in frame four, lots of capped brood, brood, pa uh, brood pattern looks really good. Oh, there's the queen right there. Okay, cool. You know, you can just talk through it and then go back and transcribe your notes later. Whatever system works for you, figure that out. But if you're documenting things and you go into the winter and you know, okay, we had two honey supers that were completely packed and there were three full frames of honey down in that lower deep. And then they overwinter and you do your first inspection. They haven't even touched the top medium and everything else is gone. You know, okay, cool. They need X amount of honey for that year. But in your notes, you're going to make, if you're, if you're doing this to the level of detail that you probably should, you're saying, hey, you know, January average temperature was this, or if there was something unusual that happened, like here at my house the first year I was here, which was like around 2016, we had three weeks of temperatures in the teens. It was like between 8 and 17 or 18 degrees for three weeks straight. Very, very unusual, very rare for where I am. That's a really good thing to put in your notes, and that way you can get through and overwinter and say, okay, Usually I need 40 pounds of honey. That year my bees had 38 to 45 pounds and they made it through fine. Well, that's cool. That's interesting, right? Good things to have in your notes. So keeping notes, keeping documentation and knowing 
roughly what you need to have. If you're in doubt, if you don't know for sure, I would be supplemental feeding them, you know, throughout the late summer, early fall to let them pack away as much as they absolutely can. And that allows you to have a strong population going into the winter and hopefully they'll have enough resources to make it. So with that, we now hope that they've got enough food. You absolutely positively need to be monitoring and treating for Varroa, right? We've talked about that a million times. I have a couple of pollen patties laying around that have been here for a couple of years. I'm going to probably use them in a couple of hives this year just to get rid of them. You know, you can feed them to the raccoons if you want, whatever. I, I've had the bees, they go up and they eat the patties or whatever, but I just, I haven't been in a situation where I've seen it make a big difference. I've had colonies that have failed in the winter, that have eaten like half the pollen patty, didn't touch the rest of it, and they died. I've had three or four different types of kind of similar scenarios where it did, it just didn't seem like the pollen patty made a big difference for them. Now, I've had a couple of them in a previous year where they were tearing it up in the spring because it was at the very top. And they had really good early brood, and that was great. So I'm not, I'm just not a huge, it, to me, it's not something that you have to have. But if you're in a situation where they're running low, you know they're going into the fall, winter time without as much as they probably should have, it's not going to hurt to throw a couple in there. I mean, why not? Now, what I don't do, and, and again, this is a topic that everybody likes to give me a lot of crap about. Like, I don't put, <laughs> going to put granulated sugar in the hive. A lot of people like to do it. Have at it. Do your thing. I don't care. I did it. Uh, I did a couple of things very similar to it with like some fondant and some other things. First few years, they just didn't seem to be that into it, and I'm. It's just not my thing. But find something that you can do to try to boost them going into the winter. It will make a big difference. Now, but really, the real number two there underneath of uh, Varroa is really condensation. You have to make sure you have ventilation, and this is something that. Man, I struggled with this one for years. I was probably five, six years in before I finally was like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to accept that, that I can do this. I wanted those boxes closed up. I wanted them wrapped. I wanted insulation on them. I wanted a heat pump in there keeping, I mean, I just, I wanted everything to have no possible way of them getting, you know, getting cold. And I kept going back to what is in the environment when they're in a tree or they're in some crevice or they have a, a hive location, wherever it might be, what does that environment look like? It's not perfectly sealed. If there is a crack in a tree that leads to a hollowed out tree, that well, the big crack, I mean, I've seen some of those that are, you know, anywhere between 10 and 12 and inches and maybe two feet. They figure out a way to make it work. But condensation kills. And if you do everything in your power to lock that hive up super, super tightly, and you don't have adequate airflow, condensation is going to build up inside. The heat of the cluster of the bees combined with the cool air that's coming in is going to cause that moist air to rise up. It hits the top of whatever it is, whether it's the top of the hollowed out tree, the top of your your beehive, inner cover, whatever it is you have in there, that moisture is going to form there. It will drip down on the bees and wet bees are dead bees. I use this thing. I think I've posted it in the Discord before. I've talked about it a couple dozen times. It's just about a three-inch piece of, you know, hive body with vents drilled. I think there's like three holes on each side and two holes on the front and two holes on the back. Number eight hardware cloth over all the holes. Those things are completely open for ventilation in the summertime. And in the wintertime, I've got a two-inch piece of foam insulation that sits in that area. 
and that keeps you know the um, the heat in, but also it tends to absorb that moisture that's coming up to the foam and doesn't allow it to drip down on the cluster. Another here pro tip for you. Make sure this is where, again, it's critically important to just make a little bit of a tilt in that entire hive body, right? Down to the stand, whether you leave the stand level and lift the back or whether you just lift the back legs up. But just go ahead and give yourself about, you know, three quarters of an inch, half to three quarters of an inch. What you want is that condensation to go up, hit the top, form the little droplets, and then you want it to kind of roll down the top to the front drip down to the, towards the entrance, and then roll outside. That's kind of the idea behind that. And one last thing, whether you do the, the type of you know upper piece that I just described, there's another thing that people do called a quilt box. I think it's basically a similar type of thing, right? You just want something that's going to absorb that moisture when it rises. Now, I'll tell you, I, the very first year I kept bees, I did nothing special. It was a hive body, inner cover, outer cover, and when I opened it up, it was mildewy, moldy, like completely saturated the inner cover was like five times the weight of a regular inner cover because it was completely saturated in that damp moisture so you want something that's going to absorb the moisture but again it's, it gets it's going to get a little funky in there so just kind of be prepared for that okay so that kind of covers some high level recommendations of what you can do to get ready for winter if you have more questions just shoot me an email jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com or ask a question in the discord room we'll try to help you out there if it makes sense and you need it, we'll do another refresher episode. But like I said, you can always go back to episode 22, Getting Ready for Winter. Okay, quick piece of news here for you. I'm going to post a link to this article in the Discord room for your reading pleasure. The title is Australia Gives Up Fight to Eradicate Bee-Killing Parasite. So like I usually do here, I'll read you a paragraph, and then you can go read the rest later on, on the website if you'd like. Australia on Wednesday abandoned its fight to eradicate the destructive varroa mite, an invasive parasite responsible for the collapse of honeybee populations across the planet. Desperate to keep varroa out of the country, authorities have destroyed more than 14,000 infected beehives since the tiny red-brown pest was first detected north of Sydney in June of 2022. The government on Wednesday conceded its $64 million that's US dollar eradication plan could not stop the mite from spreading saying the country's beekeepers should now prepare to live with the incursion. Quote, the recent spike in the new detections have made it clear that the varroa mite infestation is more widespread and has also been present for longer than first thought. End quote. Officials said in a statement, Australia was one of the last major beekeeping countries to successfully keep varroa at bay. So that's interesting. Like I said, I'll post a link to the article in the Discord room. And if you're like, I'm not going to do anything with the Discord room. I don't care. I don't want to be involved in that. Shoot me an email. I'll send you a link. All right, folks, to wrap up today's episode, I do want to ask a quick question of all of you. I am going to, how can I say this? I'm going to have a little extra time here coming up. I want to know, would you rather hear more frequent like 10 to 15 minute episodes like if i have 15 minutes to just jump in and talk about something for 10 or 15 minutes do you think is that something that's useful to you is that cool or would you be like no man hold off put it all into a bigger 30 to 45 minute thing i'd rather just hear it once a week because I'm, I'm i may be putting myself in a position where i can actually do like three to five episodes a week but they might be a little bit smaller just as something comes up we're able to chat real quick and, and give you some info so i'm going to try and see if i can put like a survey or some kind of a feeler out in the Discord room. But hit me up, man. Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Shoot me an email, whatever. Message me in the Discord, whatever you want to do. 
But like I said, there's lots of times where something kind of pops up and I think about doing just a quick, you know, quick discussion about it. But, you know, I don't want somebody to feel like you're being cheated out of a full episode either. So, all right, everybody. So that's going to do it for this week's Bee Buzz. Again, thank you all so much for your support. I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen. I look forward to talking to you again soon and be kind to one another. Take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.